Last week, we looked, um, we looked at 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where we looked at how our job as Jesus' disciples is to act as the mutual friend between Jesus and our friends. And we do that by doing what any mutual friend would do. Uh, we make the introduction. So we say to our friends, uh, Mike, I'd like you to meet Jesus. We say to Jesus, Jesus, I'd like you to meet Mike. We're the mutual friends. And we talked about, um, rather than using the term sharing our faith, which can fill us all with a little bit of fear or or a lot of fear, uh, instead, why not simply view it as inviting your friends to a party at Jesus's place where your friend is the guest of honor? And how do we do this? We do this by, number one, remembering, and number two, by proclaiming it. So first, we remember our experiences of Jesus, those things that we've seen, that we've um, heard, that we've seen with our own eyes, those things that, we've, that our hands have touched. This is the language that's used in, in 1 John chapter 1. And then we proclaim it. We let these memories and truths, after we've remembered them, we just let them flow out into natural conversation as we talk with others. That's how we make the introduction between Jesus and our friends. That's how we invite them to this party at Jesus' place that's been given in their honor by remembering and by uh, proclaiming. And while we're doing this life of remembering and proclaiming, what we're doing is that we're giving our, our friends a sample of this life with Jesus, a sample of the real thing, just like we experience when we go over to Costco. And when we give them a sample of the real thing, what we're letting them do is to make an informed decision as to whether they want to enter into a friendship with Jesus themselves, whether they want to attend the party at his place, whether they want to become a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. And then in our scripture today, uh, verse 5 of chapter 1 um, of 1 John 1 and onwards, this actually carries on this theme of mutual friendship, passing on the invitation. So if you turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and we read this. This is the message we've heard from him and we declare to you. This is the message we've heard from him and we declare to you. So we've heard this message and we're passing this message on. This is the job of the mutual friend, like I've said. But what is the message? Let's carry on to verse five, uh, the second part, verse five. Uh, So this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth, but, If we walk in the light as he is in the the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, which is good news, right? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There it is again. 
If we claim we have not sinned, then we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, maybe you're thinking, hold on, Dan, you were just talking about inviting our friends to a party at Jesus' place, and now we get to read the invitation and this message from Jesus, and it seems like it's all about darkness and light and lying and deception and so on. And I don't know if any of my friends, to be honest, would want to come to that kind of party. It all feels a little bit heavy. Fair enough, but what if we were to understand verse 5 and onwards as the ground rules for you to get the most out of the party? In industry, they would call this a memorandum of understanding. Everyone say that. Memorandum of understanding. One, two, three. Memorandum of understanding. An MOU. And what a a memorandum of understanding is, is simply saying, let's all make sure we're on the same page before we start hanging out. That's what an MOU is. And through John, Jesus is uh, making sure that we understand that what we're getting ourselves into when we accept his invitation to be part of his, of his kingdom. And like I said, if we take verse 5 of chapter 1 through verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, this party appears like it's going to be a bit of a bummer. And so for us to get a good understanding of our passage and what this invitation looks like. We need to understand what these two terms mean, light and darkness. And we need to understand how John is using them. And for us to understand that, we need to visit a castle. In Wales, we have this castle called Castell Carreghenen. It's been a ruin since 1462, but it's still standing. It's about four miles from this town called Llandelo in the Brecon Beacon National Park. And it sits uh, above the countryside on top of this kind of limestone hill or mountain. It's really quite amazing. Now, in the 1200s, Caseth Karakenen was captured by this guy with the amazing name of Rhys Vachan Ap Rhys Mechath. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Rhys Vachan ap Rhys Mechach. Have to be careful how you pronounce it. It sounds like you're swearing in church. And Rhys actually captured this castle from his own mum. Now, Wales has many castles, but Castle Karakanen is, uh, is kind of set apart um, because it has a tunnel that runs underground. And this tunnel ends in in this natural cave, and the neat thing about this tunnel that goes under the castle in this cave is that there is no artificial lighting at all. There are no switches to turn on. So you need your cell phone or your torch, your flashlight with you if you want to find your way to the cave at the end. And then when you reach the end and you turn off your torch, you are plunged into absolute blackness. Like, it's the kind of blackness that you can only withstand for so long until you start to imagine something creeping up on you and you can't see it. It's a darkness that you can feel. It's a heavy darkness. Now, I want you, you to imagine that you're in this cave at the end of the tunnel, running underneath Castle Karakanen, 
and you're with your mates, and you've already done the whole spooking each other thing. You've tried opening and closing your eyes and seeing that there isn't any difference at all. You've spoken out loud and listened to the echo of your voice off the of the wall of the cave, you've had your moment of quiet contemplation, pondering, you know, the you know the deeper things of life, which is kind of what happens when you're in a dark cave. So really, you're done with all that the cave has to offer you. It's now time to go back to the light, back to civilization. But prior to you even saying, okay, now it's time to go back. So prior to you. Um, switching on your flashlight, your mate who's with you says, well, I'll be off then. Which is weird, because you can tell that he's not switched on his torch yet. And so you point out the obvious, uh, your light's not on, you can't see anything. And then he responds really confidently and says, no, it's great, I can see great, I can see, you know, you know, the cave walls and the tunnel, you know, the light is really bright. This is, this is amazing. I'm going to head out. I'll see you in a few. Now, you are totally confused at this moment, but your mate strides off and he's absolutely confident. But it's not long before you hear three sounds, one very quickly after the other. The first one is the sound of a boot tripping over a stone. The second sound is a soft thump of a head hitting the side of the cave wall. And the third word, or the third sound, is a very well-chosen word that cannot be repeated in church on Sunday morning. And you try not to laugh. But that's what John is trying to get at in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, through to the end. It's the whole idea that someone can be walking in the darkness and yet maintaining that they're walking in the light that they can see. It's ludicrous. It's a stupid idea. Verse 5 says, God is light. Verse 6 then says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in, walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. Now, John's not talking about feelings or opinions here. Um, He's not sharing his thoughts, and you can choose to leave it, you know, or take it. You know, you can't say, well, that's not how I view it. That's not my truth. That's your truth, John. That's not how John presents this at all. John presents this like he's stating a fact. If the lights are off, and you're claiming the lights are on, then you're fooling nobody except yourself. John pulls no punches at all uh, when he says that if this is true of us, then we lie and we do not live out the truth. Which is kind of nice, polite Bible language for John grabbing the lapels of someone's jacket, shaking them in frustration and saying, what's going through your head right now? What are you talking about? So I hope the question that you're asking now, I've been talking a lot about light and dark, and I hope you're asking yourself the question, what is the light and what is the dark? Because understanding what Jesus' party or Jesus' kingdom looks like hinges on knowing what John means when he talks about the darkness and light. So if you get your understanding of these words, if you get them wrong, then you can get really way off base. And that's actually what happened to me when I started reading our passage. I got the wrong idea. See, You see, what I thought it meant was that walking in the light is being good 
and walking in the dark is being bad. So don't be bad, be good, and then you can have a relationship with God. And so if we view these verses and that understanding of these verses as the ground rules for entering into Jesus' kingdom, then, then, then to get into Jesus' party, our thinking has to go like this. In order to be welcomed into God's presence, then that means I have to be good, I have to be righteous, I have to be holy, if that's what walking in the light means. Unfortunately, I'm not, and you're not. And that sadly leads us to the place where Jesus' presence, the light, is a place to be shunned, is a place to be avoided. But that's not what John is saying here. That is not what John is saying here. In fact, John is saying the complete opposite. John is, saying, John is not saying be good rather than bad when he talks about walking in the light and not walking in the darkness. What John is saying is, Don't lie about being bad. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. If you want to hang out with Jesus at his place, then you can only do it through being you with all your ugliness and sin and shame. That's the only way that you can get into Jesus' presence. Jesus knows that you're broken Come to him anyways. He's saying, wipe that church smile off your face right now. If you know that you're struggling with sin, then stop pretending that everything's okay when you know that things are falling apart. Through John, Jesus is saying, for you to be welcomed into my presence, I have one requirement. Don't be a fake. Don't lie Don't pretend to be something that you're not. I'm not impressed, he says. Or to put it in other words, own your brokenness. This is how to get into Jesus' party to where he is. Come to him even though you are sinful and shame-filled. Jesus knows that you're broken, so come anyways. This is so important. It's so vital. Knowing this, understanding this, really getting this, will decide whether you live a miserable, legalistic, religious life, or whether you live a joy-filled, grace-filled, Holy Spirit-filled life. Walking in the light does not mean being good. Walking in the light means being honest about not being good enough. If you're writing things down, write that down. I'll say it again. Walking in the light does not mean being good. Walking in the light means being honest about not being good enough. And when we're honest about our sinfulness by bringing it into the light, And when we refuse to skulk in the shadows, we end up with the most outrageous, unexpected, crazy turn of events thing ever. We end up with fellowship with God himself. And this means that you are free to be yourself, your true self, with God You can stand in that light and you can say, here I am, God, warts and all. I am ashamed. 
I hate what I've done. I, I deeply regret the choices that I've made in life. I've sinned against you. And rather than recoiling, rather than shunning you, rather than saying, you make me sick, God instead grabs you and wraps his arms around you and he welcomes you into the party. That's how you get in. And all of this takes place in the light. So is this true? Is this really true? Can we really believe this? Well, what does it say in verse 8? It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But then verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now we know this verse so well, but we don't know this verse at all. We don't really get it. We don't really live it. You see, what this verse is saying is that God embraces you and his holiness makes you holy. Jesus isn't contaminated by your sin. Instead, Jesus contaminates your sin with his purity and holiness and righteousness. And this light of, of, of this honest relationship with him spread through every cavern of your soul. And if you know anything about science, light beats darkness every single time. The light cannot extinguish, sorry, the dark cannot extinguish the light, but the light displaces the dark like what John writes in, 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 in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and what? The darkness has not overcome it, and it never will, never will. So the darkness of sin in you cannot overcome the light in Jesus. But Satan our enemy, our arch enemy who only wishes you ill. He wants you to believe that it's safer for you to stay in the shadows and maintain a facade rather than come into the light of, of Jesus Christ. But Jesus knows that you are broken. He knows your doubts. He knows your sin. He knows your shame. He knows your regrets. Every single one of them, probably even more than you do yourself. And he says, come anyways. This is the hope of the gospel, that as we bring our true, sinful, hurting selves to Jesus, we're not rejected. The darkness does not win, but we are forgiven. We are purified. Verse 7 of 1 John 1 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Amen. Okay, let's pause there. Because you would think that after everything that John has said up until now, you would think that he would complete this sentence by saying, if we walk in the light, he sees in the light, we have fellowship with God himself. After all, he just made this really compelling case that, that, um, that darkness equals no fellowship with God. And so you would think that light equals fellowship with, with him. But that's not how John finishes the sentence in verse 7. Read it. He says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. 
And this is really key. This is really key because what John is doing is he's, is he's taking for granted that things are now good between us and God. Okay, it, li- it literally goes without saying. John doesn't say it. It literally goes without saying that John does not mention this restored relationship between, between us and God. Instead, he leapfrogs over that and goes straight to we have fellowship with one another. And so verse 7 is saying here that true fellowship is on offer for every single one of us. And yet so many of us go through life alone, unknown, fighting our battles by ourselves. But why? Why do we choose to go it alone? I think it's because we're afraid. Last week I said that we've been fooled into believing that faith is a private thing, that we that, that to be a good Canadian and a good Christian is to keep it to ourselves. We've been taught that, that we should be afraid of people seeing the real us with our sins and our weaknesses. We're afraid of being rejected or judged. But John says in verse 7 that being honest about our sin is the very thing that leads us into genuine relationship and friendship with each other. It's not having shared hobbies. It's not having kids who are the same age. It's not living next to each other. The thing that unites us all is us saying, I'm not okay, and you're not okay, and that's okay. I'm not okay, and you're not okay, and that's okay. Verse 7 says that the confession is the root to being cleansed. As we take the risk of developing legit, honest relationships with each other, the blood of G- that Jesus shed on the cross is applied to our sinful pasts and we're purified from all sin. That's amazing, right? That's incredible. Not that we get cleansed and then step into the light, but we step into the light and then the cleansing happens. Now, let's, let's return to that cave in Wales. It's pitch dark, and because it's pitch dark, you've fallen and you've ended up with a cut on your arm, but you aren't sure how bad the cut is because it's dark. But you take comfort from the fact that as long as you stay in the dark, then no one else has to know how much of a klutz you actually are. Now, if someone was to switch on the light, it would quickly become clear how bad the mess is. It would would quickly become clear just what is needed, required to clean up this mess. This light would reveal if you need stitches or if you need a Band-Aid. And then as you're looking at yourself in that light that's just turned on, you look at your friend and you see that they've spilt coffee down their shirt in the dark you both realize something in the light that you would never have realized if you'd have remained in the dark. And you realize that it's your klutziness, it's your brokenness that unites you. And so you grin sheepishly at each other and you start to tidy up each other and to help each other out. John is saying, that the route to true fellowship with each other is being honest about the junk and the sin and the shameful stuff going on in, in your life. Now, the Greek word in, in verse 8 for sin is hamartia, which means missing the mark, okay? 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Missing the mark. And let me say this, that any time we pretend that we're not missing the mark, which is what we generally try to do, you know, we try to, to pretend as much as we can, I'm not missing the mark, things are good between me and God, I'm okay. Anytime we do that, that anytime we pretend we're not missing the mark, we're missing the point of the gospel of Jesus' death on the cross because the point of his blood being shed was to cleanse you from all sin. Now in the dark, we can pretend that we're not missing the mark. We can be throwing our darts and pretending that we're hitting the bullseye every time. That was amazing. Well done. How did you do that? Wow, you're amazing as well. But anytime I've been honest about sin in my life, about missing the mark. Anytime I've turned that light on in the cave of my life, anytime I've taken the risk of coming into the light, I have never faced rejection. And there are some pretty profound things, some uh, shameful things which I I have confessed. I've never faced rejection from God or my friends. And the friendships that I've received as a result of that are are deeper and truer and more honest than anything I would have experienced otherwise. I'm free to talk about sexual temptation. I'm free to talk about losing my temper. I'm free to be open when I'm feeling low in the light. We're free to be honest about our laziness, about our gluttony, about our anger. We are free to, be, uh, to talk about our alcoholism, about our addiction to, to porn. In, our, in, this, in the light, we can open up and share about when we had an abortion years ago and how it's plagued us for years. In the dark, everything looks scary. But in the light, we discover that we have nothing to fear. And that's what I want our grow groups to be. Places of light where sins are confessed and the power of sin is is broken. Because Jesus knows that we're broken. Come to him anyways. Now as the band comes up, I want to leave us with this choice that is in front of each and every one of us. You can continue to file false claims. As verse 8 says, you can continue to pretend being something that you're not. You can pretend that you don't have sin splattered all over you. Or you can make the honest confession of verse 9. Both verse 8 and verse 9 start with this word, if. And that means this is choose your own adventure time. If this, then that. But if this, then that. In the language of 1 John, we need to choose between a life of claiming and a life of confessing. It's either one or the other. If you're not confessing your sin, then by default, you're pretending everything is okay. You are filing false claims. The life of claiming is a lie. The, the, life, the life that says, I'm good enough. I don't need Jesus. I don't need you. I'm okay on my own. That's a lie. That's what verse 8 is all about, claiming to be without sin. It's that, it's that mindset that says you just have to put your best foot forward. It's, uh, it's that life that says you just got to grin and bear it. How much brokenness is concealed in the shadows of this church? How many of us would rather live in the dark, live in the lie, than 
walking in the light. That's what the life of a claimer is. But a confessor is something else completely. A confessor is honest. A confessor is like the tax collector in Luke 18, 13, who said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when are you going to stop filing false claims? And when are you going to start making an honest confession? Because here's the truth. If you want your future to be different from your past, then you need to choose differently now. If you're thinking, well, there's no point in confessing. I'm too far in. I know I'll just end up sinning again. So why go through the pain? What's the point? Well, let me draw your attention to verse 1 of chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Right now, is sin your defining reality? Well, choose to make it that thing that you once did. Is sin the book title of your life? Well, choose to make it a footnote. I write this to you so that you will not sin. And what is it that John has just written? Well, verses 5 through 10, that Jesus knows that you are broken, that he knows about your sin, so be honest, that the risk of honesty is worth it, that coming into the light not only brings us into fellowship with God, but with each other as we look around and see just how messy we all are. John is saying in verse 5 through verse 10, be honest about sin. And then he says, I write this to you. Be honest about sin so that you don't sin. Why is this? What's, what's that link there? Living lives of honesty about sin with God and with each other. What it does is it breaks the power of sin and it frees us from the control of sin. If you don't believe me, you should try it. It's amazing. Your sin isn't special. Your sin isn't unique. But Satan wants you to believe that it is. So call him on this. Refuse to be a claimer, filing false claims. Instead, be a, a confessor. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus knows that you're broken. So come to him anyways. And what I'd like now is that sometimes that first step is just saying, God, I don't, I'm scared about this next step. I don't know what this walking in the light means. It scares the life out of me, but I want to make sure that things are right between me and you. And if that's you today, then uh, you can respond in this song that talks about the reckless love of, of God. You can come forward and kneel you can, make, you can have that conversation with God where you are right now. It really doesn't matter. But know this, that if you confess, choose your own adventure. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just. And he promises that he will forgive you that sin that you've not forgiven yourself of. And he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Jesus knows that you're broken. He's not surprised. Come to him anyways.